Welcome to Matter of Fat, a body positive podcast with Midwest sensibilities. I'm Kat Polavoda, a local fat feminist here for your plus size fits, small business tips, and Reese's pumpkin candies, far superior than the regular <laughs> Reese's. I'm joined by my co-host, Soraya Bogani. Hi, I'm Soraya, a fat multiracial millennial living her best Halloween life, and we're excited to present Matter of Fat. We're here to talk about the cultural politics of fat bodies here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the greater Midwest. And welcome to episode six. This is Halloween. This Ooh. is us. And while our podcast sometimes talks about scary things like fat phobia, racism, and the gross business practices going on around us, we're excited to share more treats than tricks. Starting with the, the fat, fat dish. dish. The fat dish is like the heavy bag of candy you haul home at the end of a cold, maybe snowy in these parts night of trick-or-treating. Honestly, covering up a costume with a coat is almost as spine-chilling <laughs> as the sub-zero temps. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, the fat dish is like that, but instead of those king-size Snickers or the perfect ratio of chocolate to fruit flavors, we're bringing a tasty smorgasbord of local events and personal newsworthy dish with a lens on body size, body positivity, and fat liberation. That's right. We talk about all things rad happening in our fat Midwestern lives. Kat, I know you've got a burning question in mind. Okay, well, I know you want me to talk about a burning question. We did script it, so yeah. Uh, so can a flu shot count as a meat cute? <laughs> um, give us a little bit more information. Okay, so like any good citizen and smart business owner and like shopkeep who interacts with tons of people and tons of germs, I got my flu shot the other day. Thank you. Have you got yours yet? Don't. It's, it's on the books. Okay. <laughs> so um, my flu shot was a strangely kind of a magical experience. I've never heard that before. I've never had a shot that I thought was magical. Yeah. It I'm actually kind of a wimp. Um, so this has never happened before. But the reason it was like a little bit magical is because the pharmacist who gave me this shot was a major babe. All right. And like, I mean... I don't know. If I wasn't paying him to vaccinate me, I could have swore that there was it was like all the makings of a romantic comedy. I mean, a girl can dream, right? She sure can. She sure can. <laughs> I'll be over here dreaming. Uh, other than that, I've just been trying to chill out and make some space for more like reflection and creativity and some projects that I'm trying to work on. I've been seeing a lot of friends and their babies, which is awesome. I've also been listening to lots of audiobooks, which I tend to document play-by-plays of on my Instagram story, so read along with me check them out if you're interested oh and also we together Mm -hmm. we went to annie's uh radical health alliance yoga for larger bodies the other day and that was really great i'm really hoping to make more of those classes for sure it was an amazing restorative yoga session honestly so chill and my life has been pretty chill lately so that was a nice way to homework yeah um i've just been working on homework going to different coffee shops around the twin cities so if you have any suggestions hit me up i'm always interested to hear about new spots um also my coworkers and i participated in a costume contest at you work. and your coworkers are yeah. doing the most fun stuff over there <laughs> it felt like elementary school for, like <laughs> in the best possible way like we had time where we got to all come together participate in different contests but we dressed up like the bad kids from willy wonka and our boss was willy wonka that's amazing uh-huh. it was real cute it was real cute um and i was veruca salt obviously because, you know, the only mm. child tendencies. Yep. Mm-hmm. I want it now. <laughs> um, but other than that, oh, this is really exciting. I told Kat about this already. But the other day I was walking to work and, you know, just trudging <laughs> down <laughs> First Avenue South. 
and a car pulls up next to me and the window rolls down and you never know Which what usually you're is do. ominous Mm-mm. i have i trust nobody when i'm walking <laughs> to work and so i'm like what is happening and then this bright smiling face is there and they go soraya i love your podcast yes and i i am floored honestly charlene thank you charlene. so much um never in my life have i been heckled or Hollered at. hollered at. I got That's hollered at in such a positive, beautiful way. Like, that is the way to start your day. Honestly, yeah, go, you know, take a jog, you know, go um, eat a, <laughs> a healthy breakfast, drink a smoothie. I don't know what y'all do, but like, instead of that, maybe you should incorporate some positive hollering. Some positive hollering. That's what I would suggest. <laughs> I love it. Um, so that's been really nice, uh, positive hollering. And then generally, I'm just really excited about our matter of fat news. Oh, yeah. So the first event to share as part of the Fat Dish is our event. We're excited to announce that we're hosting our first Matter of Fat event at the beginning of December. It'll be part listening party, part meetup, part end of the season celebration, and it'll be coming at you on Tuesday, December 4th at Spaces in the North Loop. That's right. Tuesday, December 4th. You heard it here first, folks. Make sure to save that date and check out our social media and upcoming apps for more details. Yes. Um, also, something coming up real fast and furious here, November 6th. It's Ooh, that time yeah. again. Uh, we're going to need each and every one of y'all to get out here and vote. Things are pretty divisive right now and one way we have power to influence what's going on around us is to vote folks into office on all levels that will make decisions that align with our values definitely for more info on candidates you can visit the minnesota secretary secretary of state website you can like type your address in and it'll show you then everyone on your ballot Mm -hmm. and many of those people are hyperlinked so then you can easily just like click to their pages um if you just google minnesota ballot it's like the first thing that pops up Uh, you'll just want to click on like see my sample ballot ballot excuse me and then type your address in Mm -hmm. i also think you know like i recommend Checking in with your friends who are politically engaged to see who they're voting for and why. For me, when I started to get more in, interested and involved in politics, that was something that really helped me. Just like kind of checking in with people who I trusted to see where their heads were at um, in terms of who they were voting for. Totally. I think it's this is such a I think it's is really cool to be using this as an opportunity to engage with family and friends and neighbors in a hopefully productive and positive way. Yeah. Um, really thinking about the community here. And another way to engage with the community is by attending an upcoming event at the U. So the super rad and super stylish Alok Vad Menon will be at the U of M on November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. for an event called Beyond Gender. Oh, they're so cool. They're really cool. And they will be performing and presenting on how to move beyond the gender binaries. And oof. With recent political announcements denigrating, dehumanizing, and invalidating queer, trans, and or intersex folks, this is a great way to learn more and show your solidarity. Yes. Um, also, students of all kinds can uh, cop tickets at a discount, so we're going to make nice. sure to link information in our notes. Ooh, this is this trick or treat is like all of the favorite candies, all of my favorite candies, which include Reese's Pumpkins, Sour Patch Kids, Nerds, Starburst, and Take Five, <laughs> and like the 100 gram bars that you never eat any other time of the year, and um, caramel apple suckers, mm-hmm. and ooh, there are no duds except milk duds in this fat dish. <laughs> That's really cute, and a very sweet way to introduce our sweet guest. We have a treat for you today. Okay, so remember a few episodes ago, we had a mini-sode where we attended Virgie Tovar's Dangerous Fatty event, sponsored by Flyover. 
Well, what we didn't share at the time is that the one and only Virgie Tovar graced the KFAI stewed with her presence while she was here in town that weekend on her book tour. Yes, this episode, we're so excited to share a conversation with Virgie. Virgie is a fat activist, scholar, and author. Her recent book, You Have the Right to Remain Fat, is a beautiful narrative of growing up fat and realizing that you don't need to wait to live your best life. Virgie, we're so happy you're here with us today. Thank you for having me. We want to start off with a question we ask everyone, which is, mm. what is your story as a matter of fact? Whoa. Um, <laughs> so I guess the story is kind of long and maybe complicated, but I guess it all starts with being a fat kid from a fat family. And so I've always been fat. I've always been surrounded by fat people. And... I was never, I wasn't really introduced to fat phobia until I was about age five, so kindergarten. And so I lived kind of this interesting, blissfully unselfconscious life, you know, around my body yeah. for a while. And then was introduced to kind of this cultural thing we know as fat phobia, mm-hmm. which is a form of bigotry. And I, I was introduced to fat phobia and as with many people who, you know, are fat and are introduced to this horrible cultural entity, um, at first it was it was jarring and shocking. And then, um, you know, as time went on, I began to adopt the same feelings that other people had towards me, towards myself. Mm. So there was kind of this indoctrination process where, um, you know, I, I didn't have any problem with my body before. And then I'm introduced to fat phobia and then I'm getting this ongoing, never-ending attack on my body, mostly happening at the hands of boys in my class, you know, Mm, at the same age. And I proceed to do what a lot of fat people are taught to do, which is to do literally anything in order to lose weight and become a thin person because there's this idea that fat people can become thin people if they just wanted to. They They just just try hard hard enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went through about two decades of, you know, calorically restricting and exercising obsessively. And um, there were definitely moments where I was engaging in starvation behavior and seeing it as a totally normal part of dieting. Mm. And I was getting nothing but positive feedback from everyone around me who, you know, saw my um, like my dieting behavior leading to the, these weight cycling experiences. And when I was on the lower end, I would just get all of this praise from my doctors and from, you know, people at church and all these kinds of parts of my community and even my family, right? Because even though they didn't criticize my body, they all had a lot of fat shame too. And they were all always kind of dieting as well. So, I'm getting all of this affirmation around doing this really harmful behavior. And I remember there was this moment when I was 11 years old. I think I was maybe maybe even 12 at the time. But um, I had decided that I was going to lose a bunch of weight um, in the summer between fifth and sixth grades. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided the only way that I was going to be able to lose the amount of weight that I needed to was to essentially engage in a lot of exercise and eating almost nothing. So I decided I was going to eat toast and lettuce for three months straight and exercise two to three hours a day. And um, no one thought this was troubling or strange. Mm. Um, and then I go in after having lost some weight, you know, maybe, I don't know, like some, not, not a whole lot of weight, but enough to make me a different size. Um, and 
the doctor just, you know, said that I was doing a great job, didn't ask me how I'd lost the weight, didn't ask me how I was eating. Mm. Um, nothing that I think you should ask a, a person who's in the, you know, the beginning of puberty. Um, nothing appropriate, I think, right? And then like and then he proceeds to tell me that if I keep going and I lose more weight, I might have the opportunity to date one of his sons. Whoa. You know, and it's just like the layers of all of it, right? I'm 11, um, right? Like this is totally inappropriate. There's no concern for um, any, I mean, like, nor I feel like it should be a, a doctor's first response to rapid size change and weight change is distress. That should be their first response. Like yeah. what is happening? Um, but in our current paradigm, that's totally laudable behavior if you're fat. Right. Engaging yeah. in what I now realize was anorexic behavior when you're fat is completely acceptable. And in fact, it's quite praiseworthy when you're a fat person. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's like years and years, like I said, nearly two decades of that. And then I'm introduced to, um, you know, I mean, to be honest, right, like my first kind of break in deciding you know, not to do that anymore came in the form of meeting people who wanted to have sex with me. Um, and kind of, you know, after having been told for years, no one would ever want me that I was disgusting. Right. And that no one would ever love me or marry me or want to sleep with me. And then to kind of have sexual experiences and discover that in fact, I was desirable to at least some people. Um, and that, you know, I, I that the, the myth of my loveless, you know, sexless future was exactly that, a myth, right? Yeah. And so that kind of happened. And then I was introduced to feminism and then I and then ended up dating a fat positive partner. And then ultimately um, was introduced to fat activism. And that kind of really became the final chapter um, in like my body liberation journey. And then obviously there was a lot of healing that came after that. But once I once I realized that I could question the culture and refuse to diet and refuse to be a smaller bodied person and that I could have this fabulous thriving life on my terms at any size I felt like you know I was liberated I was free you know yeah thank you that's my story yes (laughs) (laughs) we're so happy you're here in the Twin Cities you're here on the tour for your latest book which is you have the right to remain fat And we want to know what your experience has been like on tour and how being here in the Midwest compares to being other places on your tour. Yeah, I mean, the tour has been incredible. I mean, it's interesting, right, because when right now we're in this interesting period with publishing and books and stuff where a lot of publishers decide to entirely forego a book tour because they think let's let's allocate that budget to a really big online push. Ah. And in some ways, right there, there's the potential to get a lot more traction, a lot of ripple effect because the internet is so vast, right. And it's so easy to share ideas and share images and all these kinds of things. Um, However, with this issue around fatness, right. um, There's such a, there's such power in having fat people in the same space. And what I've been finding over and over and over again, as I've been going from place to place is that people are meeting other fat people who are radical around being fat and they're they're like people in their community who they didn't know could be their allies. Yeah. And so I I feel like every single venue I've heard the feedback that I did they people didn't know that there were so many people who lived near them yeah. who were like-minded 
And it's just, it's extraordinary for me. I think there's something powerful in that. I think there's something powerful, obviously, too, in taking the fat body out of the the two-dimensional space that is the internet in a lot of ways um, and rendering those bodies into physical spaces and putting us in the room together. Because I think certainly a lot of us are taught I think fat people are taught not to congregate yeah, um, because it's like very threatening to the culture, right? Because like, what does it indicate when you're hanging out with other fat people? It's like, it must mean that you don't hate yourself completely. And that's totally taboo when you're a fat person. Um, and so there's been all of this, this like powerful, you know, sharing of space. And, and it's like, it just reminds me how transformative, um, that, you know, that meat space can be. And obviously the internet is, you know, I think the internet has been the vehicle that has made this movement so robust and so big and so global. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's just reminding me of the power of like, you know, when we're touching each other and we're yeah. sharing energy and we're talking to each other and we're nodding along, right? Like as we're telling, you know, I mean, like last night at the Minnesota event, at the, in the Minneapolis event, um, like in at Gamut Gallery, I was you know, I think I was having this experience of, you know, people nodding along at moments that feel so unusual yeah. and so unique. And and I think there's a way where um, our fat experience, we understand that it's not something that's isolating, but something that's unifying when we're in a space together. And so I think like, in terms of the differences between maybe the coasts um, and here, right? I mean, like, obviously, these are massive generalizations. Every region has a slightly different, um, you know, bent. But it's been it's been interesting, right? Like, one of the things that I found really different about this event um, versus the coastal events that I have done so far um, is there was, um, I don't know, like, I think that there's... Uh, like a difference in the questions during the discussion. Um, one of them, like, I mean, I've, I've noticed, right. Um, uh, at least in, in when I'm on the West coast or the East coast, um, there's a lot of focus on there. There have been, there has been a lot of focus on, you know, people who are aggressive to fatness or who are aggressive to the idea of fat liberation. There's a lot of focus on that. How do I deal with these naysayers? Uh. How do I deal with people who are hostile? How do I deal with somebody who tells me that, yeah, this maybe is a civil rights issue, but at the end of the day, being fat is unhealthy. And so there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of focus mm -hmm. on health language, health rhetoric, and how to navigate it. I found it extraordinary. There was like, there were no questions about that last night. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, because I think, right this is where um the conversation is in a lot of ways especially in right like i live in san francisco which is kind of this um in a lot of ways right it's like a liberal upper middle class health like you know fitness conscious city um and i think there are ways in which coastal cities that are that you know that are like San Francisco that's where the the topic kind of begins and ends sometimes mm -hmm. um because you know people are trying to navigate um like well-meaning coworkers and well-meaning, you know, yeah. whoever. Um, and they're looking for a language about how to deal with that. Right. And so anyway, it was just, it was, it's interesting because I felt like there was more of this personal, um, you know, sharing and this personal internal world focus in the Q and A and discussion that I really loved. That's awesome to yeah. hear. And I will say too, like 
what you described, like, I think those are conversations that people have that we're having. Sure. But it is noteworthy that in that space, none of those questions were posed to you. It was yes. all just, yeah, focused on, on you and your work and questions about you and your life. That's awesome. Yes. Thanks for mentioning that. That's just, yeah, that's very cool. It's interesting that you bring that up because even when we were thinking about questions to pose to you, um, we were thinking about our podcast as mm. a space to hear voices and experiences from people who are fat. Yeah. And so one of the questions that we brought up was, what are the most common shared experiences that you hear from people who have read your works or heard you speak? So even in the phrasing of that question is yeah. really internalized as opposed to external how to deal with that. Yes. Um, and so I guess maybe it's more unique to think about it, but what have the commonalities really been for you when you've been at these speaking engagements? Yeah, I mean, I I have found that people are there there are a number of them. People in general are quite eager for tools. Um one of the things that comes up a lot and this comes up both it has come up on the tour and it's also come up in my work with women like I do a program called Babe Camp, which is an online yeah. course. Um and so I work one-on-one with a lot of women, mostly women. Um, and you know, one of the things that comes up often is, okay, I have done all of this intellectual work. I understand diet culture is terrible. I understand the history of it is wrapped up in all of these horrible things like racism and sexism and all kinds of things. Right. Um, but I don't know how to feel good about myself though. Right. I know this thing is bad and yet I don't know how to feel okay. I don't know how to heal. Mm -hmm. That's a really common question. Um, And I think there's a lot of hmm. I see kind of people who are dealing with this issue in intimate relationships or work relationships that are quite close because they're, you know, they're consistent um, and they don't want to sacrifice that relationship or they don't, they can't, right? Because it's part of their employment experience um, and how to navigate those things, right? Um, that's really common. Not not necessarily how do I deal with this vitriolic big bigot who's coming at me with like a frothing mouth and more, you know, how do I deal with my cousin or how do I deal with my colleague who I think is actually probably a great person but literally can't stop manip- like manipulating me with weird food games I mean one of the things I'm gonna I'm gonna share this is a little bit less on the the tour but a common experience that I just want to share because I think it's so phenomenologically interesting when we're talking about this issue um so first of all I was very shocked when I started working with women um and they told me that again and again that the venue where they were experiencing the most difficulty around body and food was the workplace. Yeah. And I was really, I mean, honestly, um, a lot of the women I work with are, you know, straight dating and I was very much expecting dating to be the venue where that was going to be, but no, it's consistently the workplace and it's workplaces that are very, um, like woman, you know, heavy. Um, and you know, and one of the things that has come up more than once is a colleague who, um, brings in candy, 
like every day or once a week and puts out a bowl and puts, you know, put a, there's like a ritualistic component to mm-hmm. it, puts out a bowl and then kind of pressures people to eat it all day long. And this is like this kind of archetypal person who's shown up in multiple stories. And I'm like fascinated by this archetype, right? Because I feel like, um, you know, there's something about like her ability to experience pleasure by proxy by another Mm. person another woman eating it right and how intimate and strange and complex that is and I think diet culture has all of these experiences that are like that that are so layered right that are that are kind of like metaphorical or symbolic and and I, I very much see diet culture as like this way that women are taught to create intimacy with one another and food becomes this like weird you know safe way that we can share something very very internal and rich mm-hmm. um so anyway but like to, to go back to commonalities like th- those are kind of um a few themes that have come up again and again and the last thing want to say that comes that has come up as a theme quite frequently is how what do I tell a child who yeah. you know because a lot of this work a lot of this work my my work and other people's work is very focused on adults mm-hmm. and you know it's like how do you work with people who are who could potentially avoid that wound or who are who are at a point where maybe with some intervention it could be slightly less bad than it was for them yeah yeah that's fascinating. And yeah. I feel it's like not surprising to me. So we have, um, there's a Twin Cities Fat Community group that I co-run that Sarah is part of. It's like a pretty large Facebook group. Yes. And I feel like if I, I, I wouldn't have probably put this together before, but in hearing the things that you see as trends, mm. I feel like if we were to like kind of break down all of the different questions and statuses that have been shared in there, they would come back to what do I say to kids? What do I say to my quote unquote well-meaning family members? And what do I do about these colleagues that are entrenched in diet culture? I mean, of course there's like other things people mention, but those are really common themes and something that just like lots of people are struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's just, it's like so cool and wild to hear you notice that those are the trends and to experience that too. Yeah. I was going to say cool. It's like, it's not cool. It's gross that those are things people are dealing with. Um, but definitely seems like a trend. So you have a column with Ravishly called Take the Cake. And recently you talked about how to talk with children who are fat Mm. or talk about fatness with children, which was really interesting. You also mentioned that in you have the right to remain fat, that you were trying to make your truth as it like, you were just trying to tell the truth, your truth. How have you gone about making your truth as accessible as possible? Yeah. Um, I mean, yes. I, and I, that's something I've been, you know, talking so much about, right? Like as I'm touring with the book, at the end of the day, I saw the purpose of the book. There's many purposes, but, you know, one of the greatest for me personally, the standard to which I held myself was, if I tell the truth as well as I, as well as I know it from researching this issue and working with hundreds of people over almost a decade, I will have succeeded. And that was my litmus test. Right. Um, and you know, I think that it's, it's, it's a synthesis of a lot of things. My truth, the truth, as I see it, um, that I, that I share in this book is the synthesis of, you know, a lifetime of experience. Um, I think also to be fair, I have an academic background, right? I have, yeah. you know, I have a master's degree um, in sexuality studies, but my research is focused on fat studies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, I did my research on how gender and race affect 
or rather how body size and race affect gender trajectory for women. Um, and so for fat women in particular. And so that took me down this, this rabbit hole of activism and scholarship and, you know, books and language that was being passed on linguistically from one person to another over decades. Um, and it's kind of, it's like the synthesis of this academic background, the research I had to do in order to, you know, be able to do the work I wanted to do, um, that combined with, right, this like radical activist history that I became a part of when I became a fat activist in, you know, 2010. Um, and then, you know, like I said, this kind of lifetime of living in this culture, both in it and kind of on the outskirts of it at the same time. And, the melting of those things is so powerful to me. And I, I think what I love so much about the book and one of the things that I feel like, um, you know, is something I have to offer and, and is, is the thing that I care to offer and the thing I want to give um, is, you know, taking the, the knowledge that I got about you know, big, big, big cultural ideas in when I was in grad school, right? I had to learn really hard, difficult to understand things mm -hmm. in order to get my master's degree because I have the, the background is in social science and it was a very theoretical program. I didn't mm. know going into it that was what was going to happen, but I almost broke my brain, right? Um, <laughs> my brain had to radically reshape. My cognition had to radically alter in order to be able to do the work that I needed to do to get my master's degree in that particular program. And, you know, and I, I found that what was so frustrating was um, that 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 the knowledge that was being produced in academia was being privatized. Yeah. Um, and that that's the purpose of academia, right? To make yeah. knowledge private. And that at the end of the day, my one of my core values is that knowledge is a public good. And that knowledge is something that once produced, if it has the potential, right, of, of creating um, positive social change or helping someone, that it that it that it's the moral duty of the person to share that information. Yeah. And so, right, like I think, you know, I I really I yeah, I'm I'm good at, I think, um, taking really huge ideas and combining them with very personal experiences. And, you know, and and the combination creates a very powerful thing where it's like, right, so yes, it's important for us to talk about our personal stories. Obviously in the book I talk about my personal stories, right? Mm -hmm. But like, what do we do when we aggregate hundreds of our personal stories that we know that we share and we make theories about what this could mean about the culture? Yeah. What, what about when we take our personal experiences and not only talk about them as like stories, but also as evidence, also as data, and that this body of evidence can tell us things about these bigger cultural things that are happening. And so, I don't know, I think that, I think that's my answer to that question. <laughs> that's awesome. Virgie, what do you think is missing around like current conversations and work related to fat liberation? Um, I mean, I feel like the, the general movement away from fat liberation and into body positivity, mm. um, is, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses, right? I don't, I think like, right on the one hand, body positivity has become this 
rallying cry for lots and lots and lots, thousands, right, yeah. of people in the U.S. and I think beyond. Um, and that's extraordinary. Um, on the other hand, I feel like these core ideological tenets of that liberation have been watered down and lost in that process. Yeah. And I don't think that serves anyone. Um, so for me, I often find, um, you know, if you go back into fat activism, right, if you, if you read like the fat liberation manifesto, yes. for example, and it outlines kind of the demands mm-hmm. of, of fat activism and fat liberation, those things are, amazing right and like and and kind of looking back at those documents um you know i think it has the potential to and already does inform um where we're at with that politics i often find um in general that because of our experience of oppression and stigma we often don't um I think some people don't think big enough about how many rights they deserve and how big their life oh. can be. And I often, again, right, like I, I'm often kind of pushing, you know, people to be like, okay, yes, you absolutely deserve this. Like you deserve access to fashion. You deserve access to being treated like a legitimate potential employee or employer, right? Yeah. You deserve to be treated um, like a legitimate potential romantic or sexual partner. Those are things you deserve. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? I'm like, yeah. that's 3% of what you deserve. <laughs> and let's make the list, right? In my mind, it's like, make the list as big as possible. Put stuff on there that you're like, I don't even know if I could even handle having this much awesomeness in my life. Put that on the list, right? And so for me, um, I think that, you know, again, because we've been taught to take up so little space and we've been kind of pushed to the margin so much and stigmatized, it's hard for us to know how much we actually deserve. Mm. And I kind of want to ground that in like a personal example that's a little bit, um, you know, like related to fatness, but maybe more so gender and race. Um, Like, I mean, I I remember when I first started doing this work and I was getting booked to do lectures and I already had a book and um, I, I edited an anthology that came out in 2012. And so I had like a, you know, publication credits and um, and had a master's degree and stuff. But, you know, due to like fat phobia and racism and sexism, right, I could not envision my talent and my capacity. And I was dating um, someone briefly and he's like this thin white dude. Right. And um, and, you know, we were just talking about my career and he's like, oh, my God you're going to be lecturing at Ivy leagues. You're going to be, you know, doing, I mean, it's like he, because of his privilege, he could see me in a way that I could not see myself. Mm. And so, you know, I think he, he um, put into service, right. He was able to kind of use his privilege to like help me expand the sphere of my possibility. And I think, right. Like, I think that this is the role of smaller bodied people in this bigger body positivity movement. This is the role of people who have more privilege to like, you know, put it into service to people to expand, you know, rather than trying to like, you know, keep our demands small and reasonable Mm -hmm. in dick quotes, right? In dick fingers, right? (laughs) Um, No, to actually make as many demands and requests as possible. And for us to kind of create this think tank that 
and this is where I feel like, you know, this is how I think, um, you know, the the diversity of size and, and experience that body positivity can kind of create as it's, you know, morphing, right? Um, this is how it can become a radical politic. When we take the people who are the closest to the center and, you know, and, and bring their experience, their privilege into service for the people who are the most marginalized. Um, and so, right, I think like that's my big thing. It's like, you know, um, sometimes I think we get, um, you know, caught up in this idea that we're asking for too much. And I'm always like, nope, you're not asking for enough, most likely. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's big. It's bold. It's Yeah, that's what we need. What are you excited about? What are your favorite things at the moment? Um, movements, people, fashion, art. What What are you excited about that you can share with us and our listeners? Well, I'm a very excitable person. Yes. <laughs> so I'm excited about many things like tiny pigs, chihuahuas, nail polish, bright pink, bright pink lipstick, mini skirts. I just bought a bodysuit that's... I don't know how to explain it. It's like psychedelic. It looks like an oil spill happened. Yes. It's shiny. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wear it without a bra. Very excited about wearing things without a bra. Yes. I have big saggy boobs that are super hot. And I love just having them out. Disrupting spaces. I love going into respectable establishments. Looking kind of weird. Wearing <laughs> neon colors. Yes. And not wearing a bra with my oil slick bodysuit. Makes me really happy. Um... I mean, in terms of other, you know, this is my internal landscape is like chihuahuas, roses, you know, tiny cactuses, talking to trees, hanging out at the beach, right? Like that's kind of, oh, you know, that's like how I roll. Just also Stevie lovely. Nicks, right? <laughs> <laughs> so like always excited about Stevie Nicks. Um, and, you know, I, I'm always, I'm such a nerd. One of the books I'm reading right now that I'm currently obsessed with was written by a friend named Thomas Page McBee. He wrote this book called Amateur. um, And it's a memoir about him being the first trans man who ever fought um, in Madison Square Garden. And kind of like why, why he did it, why he felt compelled to do it, why masculinity is so connected to violence. Mm. And it's just this like, beautiful like combination of memoir and cultural analysis that talks about masculinity and toxic masculinity in a way that I don't think anybody is talking about it right now. Um, and so I'm nerding out really hard. I'm actually doing an event with him in San Francisco awesome. um, soon. But anyway, you know, I, I, I have these like intimate relationships with books that are very um, personal. Um, I started reading this other scholar. His name is Vincent Wood or W O O D A R D, and he's um he's passed away, but you know he he has left a, uh, some literature that he wrote, and it's just so amazing, and um and he talks about right he talks about the connections between like slavery and the and the usage of like hunger and how this has affected um you know um like American culture, and it's I mean and what's wild right is like you know he's a scholar who's focused on. Um, U.S. slavery, and I see so many connections in my own work to what he's talking about. Um, and so I was, re- you know, I just started reading his book and one of his books, and 
And it, it moved me so much that I actually wrote this thank you note and I put it on my altar with my little crystals oh, to him, right? Yeah. Like this person I have never met and I will never meet just to kind of as a gesture in the universe, right? That like, I'm so grateful that this person took this risk to share these ambitious ideas with the world. Um, and so, right, like, I mean, I have that relationship with James Baldwin, right, also, who's yeah. also no longer with us, but who was a visionary and, and an extraordinary sensitive writer. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always excited to have, like, nerdy relationships with ghosts. Um, <laughs> and so I'm excited about that. And then, I don't know, like, style-wise, um, I, I don't, like, I mean, I'm somebody who loves I'm like a maximalist yeah so big jewelry bright colors you know bold statement so I think there's um a lot going on in that I mean I see lots of people doing this incredible work like online and Instagram and whatnot um and I think the last thing I'm gonna say is like um I'm really amazed by there's kind of this interesting thing I think is happening where there's kind of this this group of people who are intellectuals, mm -hmm. right? But they're also like style people. They're style icons or mm -hmm. something. And they're fashion they, they're they're like experimental with fashion and they're also experimenting with thought. Mm -hmm. You know? Um and I sort of see this like burgeoning like for example like um like grace dunham is one of these people who i'm like oh my god grace is like a super brilliant person who's also like oh my god what is this person gonna wear and i just desperately want to know where <laughs> where it came from and like how they put it together and so um i think that right like social media in a lot of ways has rendered those people from like that friend who's three times removed and who you have a crush on to someone you can now watch their like daily life on instagram yeah um so that's great and obviously also so um, llamas of Instagram. That's the last thing I want to say. Llamas of Instagram. That's awesome. <laughs> Virgie, do you have time to like watch Netflix or Hulu? Yes. What are your shows? Bob's Burgers. Yes. And I started. Oh my god! It's like I love rewatching Parks and Rec. <gasps> Virgie, I know oh over and over. They're like my friends. <laughs> yes. I'm like yes. these are my friends. Yes. We yes. hang yes. out. And like I have that relationship with Bob's Burgers too. Also, I don't not show not a consistent show, but I am a total horror fanatic. Ooh. I will watch any horror movie at any time. I can binge watch <laughs> horror nonstop of any genre. I mean, I'm not that great with like the torture horror, but I can do it if I need to. Um, but like you know, every Tuesday in San Francisco at the Alamo um, Draft House, um, they have Terror Tuesday. Ooh. And I and I go with my friends who all went to film school and dropped out. And I'm the only one who didn't go to film school. And so we go and we watch this like terrible, terrible, wonderful, weird, amazing, awful, but but like artistic <laughs> horror movies. And then we go have drinks and they like give dramaturgical notes on the on this absurd film. Anywho, so I know that was a little bit of a divergence from Hulu, but I mostly use awesome. I mostly use Netflix and Hulu to watch Parks and Rec and Bob's Burgers, but also a lot of horror movies. Got yes. it. What would you say are your top three horror movies? OMG. It's a big question. So it's if it's not question, top it's three, a big if, question. It's, if it's a lot of other ones, that's fine. Oh my God. Okay. I'll admit it. I really like the right, I'm sorry, wrong turn canon right like wrong turn movies there's i think there's like three 
Um, they're all about, I'll admit, there's cannibalism. I really like cannibalism. It is my favorite subgenre. <laughs> um, and so, wrong turn, super creepster. Um, I think also the Slumber Party Massacre series. Whoa. Super good. Lot of boobs. So, if you're one of the tiny minority of people who does not think boobs are awesome, don't watch that. Don't watch it. But if you love them, this is the series for you. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to share one final one. It's the most art house of all the ones I've already shared. It's called Necromantic with a K. Whoa. It's German. Ooh. It is about a triad relationship between two living people and a corpse. Ooh. And the woman leaves the living guy with the cor- for the corpse. <laughs> and then shenanigans ensue i won't give away the ending (laughs) (laughs) so i hate horror none of these are things i would ever recognize or would ever want to watch sorry are you into horror um i have been on occasion i used to be super into like supernatural horror when i was younger and then in the past probably five years or so it's gotten too real for me Mm. um not that I don't know what I believe, and I'm not. Are you saying you're being haunted? Is that what you're saying? I am scared of being haunted. (laughs) I am not haunted. I don't know that I believe I ever will be haunted. But, like, when I think about things, I'm like, (laughs) you know, I'm not ready to buy a house. That's probably going to be haunted. Right. I'm not going to put that down payment down on a haunting. Thank you very much. Understood. I will say, last thing I want to say about horror is... I find it very cathartic. Mm. So, yes, it's, like, entertaining, right? But for me, I see horror as the most honest rendering of our culture. So, for me, horror is about – it's almost like documentary to Mm -hmm. me. So, there's a part of me that's, like, I find great psychological relief in people documenting the culture as I see it. (laughs) You know? Okay, I think it's time to move on to some Midwest would-you-rathers. Okay. So normally we ask people questions like their favorite thing or this or that in the Midwest, but because you're not from the Midwest, yes. and I don't, it doesn't seem like you've spent a lot of time in the Midwest. Is that not accurate? That's accurate. Cool. Though we, I'm dating a Midwesterner. Oh, yes, you so are. I'm learning. I'm going to learn. That's awesome. And maybe yes. this, I hope that we can kind of help you a little bit in your quest. I can't wait. Okay, so we're going to mention some things like would-you-rather do this or eat this or that kind of thing and you can pick um, one of them and if you don't know what they are you can guess uh, or we can help you along the way yes first off would you rather eat hot dish or bars hot dish though I had to read the description of this I have to look (laughs) it up so uh, yes I will stick with that answer hot dish and do you have any kind of particular hot dish or casserole that you love I mean tater tots was one of the options so I'm going to stick with that Last night I had tachos. Oh, tachos. Very oh, delicious. Very with delicious. queso. At the Blue Door. At the Blue they Door. They have excellent tachos. They really excellent. do. Excellent. Yes. Would you rather listen to Prince or to Lizzo? Prince. Are you familiar with Lizzo? Yes. <laughs> you already gave your answer. It was hard. I mean, either one. Choosing, like, not choosing one of them is always already going to be implicating. Yeah, yeah. But how about Bob Dylan or The Replacements? Bob Dylan. I have no idea who The Replacements are. <laughs> uh, would you rather talk about the weather ad nauseum or complain about road construction? Mm, I love to complain, so road construction. <laughs> you would be in your element complaining about road construction here because 
I is it like I this is a very like uh, kind of tired like thing that we say here, but maybe it's new to you. People are always like two seasons in Minnesota, winter and road construction. Oh, so in the summers, it's because it's like in the winter you can't do a lot of road construction because it's just not safe to be outside and like it's a frozen solid. So in the summer, yes. there's just so much construction. Can and I do? Always wait, just complain about it. Can I just do my Bob Dylan impression for like two seconds? Oh yeah. Okay, one of my my favorite Bob Dylan song is. Master, masters of war, you masters of war. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I don't care right. about the replacements. Can they do that? No, they can't. <laughs> no. Um. So we're talking movies. Would you rather yeah. watch Fargo or Drop Dead Gorgeous? Fargo. Have Francis you- McDormand. I've never yeah. seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, but I don't care. Anything that Frances in is going to win, period. I respect Especially that. Especially when she's like, I just think I'm going to barf. That's my favorite <laughs> line when she's pulled over. She's pregnant. She's pulled over. And they're like, are you okay? And she's like, I just think I'm going to barf. That's like, <laughs> anyway, so love that line. That little, are you okay, Minnesota? You did that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you were able to go to the state fair, which is e- a rite of passage. Yes. So my question, would you rather have your visage be in a sculpture of butter oh. or seed art? Definitely butter times a thousand. Yes. What would that mean to you if I presented a sculpture? Oh, me, I don't have I it. I'm mean, sorry. It would be next level. I'm somebody who, I mean, I would save it forever, too. I wouldn't even eat it. Because it would be so sacred to me. And it would be hard not to eat it because I love butter. I say special occasion, just like a little bit mm-hmm. after bangs. It'd like, be like that, that first slice of wedding cake would just live in my freezer. And I would show everyone I met and be like, guess what? This thing. That's amazing. <laughs> yes! so I wish I wish I could do that just so we could give that to <laughs> me you. Me too. At, yeah, but something to work towards, I think. Yeah, maybe in the future we'll yeah. be able to gift our guests with butter. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for yes. being here with us. We really appreciate it. And we, yeah, we can't wait to let people hear more from you. We are just, um, your work is so foundational and inspirational. Oh, and you. it's just wonderful to be able to be he- with you here in the studio. Tell us more about the book. Where can people find it? And how can people find you? Yes. Um, so the book, You Have the Right to Remain Fat, um, is available on Amazon or anywhere. Books are sold, especially um, indie bookstores or at feministpress.org. And you can find me online at virgitovar.com, V-I-R-G-I-E-T-O-V-A-R.com or on Instagram at virgitovar. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Again, we've been so excited to share this interview with you. It's been hard sitting on it and not telling anybody about it. <laughs> it really um, has. I mean, who knew we'd get a Bob Dylan impression, <laughs> hear some great horror movie wrecks, it is Halloween, and engage in such an easy, breezy, fat liberation conversation. We just love Virgie. Like, honestly, I can't gush about her enough. She is just so awesome. It was such a pleasure to get to know her while she was here in the Twin Cities. She is as kind as she is brilliant. A true gem. And without further ado, (laughs) get it, boo. It's Halloween, y'all. It's Halloween. Okay. Uh, Our next segment is Dirt Dirt and and Discourse. As you know, the Dirt and Discourse portion of our show is where we tease out both the excitement and discomfort around relevant pop and cultural happenings. 
This week, we're going to take time to break down a concept that we've talked about before because one of our listeners asked us to. Yes, a listener question. We love this particular question as it recalls a topic we've mentioned on previous episodes with Jessica and Zoe. A dear friend and friend of the pod, Michael, posed a question. Hey, y'all. Could you say a little bit more about health at every size? Also, a little bit about BMI. What exactly is that? Uh, Great question. Health at every size is a way to approach health that is not rooted in weight loss. So we're going to get a little radical. Yes, my favorite. Yeah, it was developed by Dr. Linda Bacon, whose research demonstrates that when people follow a program where bodies are respected, confidence is boosted, and focus is placed on things folks can do that are actually proven to increase their health, like moving their bodies, eating enough veggies, not smoking, et cetera, et cetera, health outcomes increase and are sustained. Um, unlike every weight loss program basically ever, RE, our last certain discourse. Wellness at work. <laughs> there are five principles that make up Haze. They are weight inclusivity, health enhancement, respectful care, eating for well-being, and life-enhancing movement. Mm-hmm. All awesome principles. We're going to talk a little bit more about them. For sure. So what is weight inclusivity? Um, it's about accepting and respecting the inherent diversity in people, yeah. in their body sizes, shapes, and rejecting the idealization of specific weights. The next principle is health enhancement. So this supports policies that improve and equalize access to information and services and personal practices to improve health and well-being and thinking about well-being more holistically, not just, um, you know, physical health, thinking about uh, emotional health and social health and economic health and sexual health. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice how these overlap with each other because the next one is respectful care. It really overlaps with a lot of what Kat was just saying, where we acknowledge our biases regarding weight stigma and weight discrimination. You know, how can we approach care for people who have different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, race, gender, sexual orientation, age, and other identities that impact weight stigma, that intersectionality that we're always talking about? Yeah, and like wanting to make sure like doctors and healthcare providers are thinking about that stuff. Yeah, and the inequities that go inherently with that. Yeah. The next is eating for well-being. That's just promoting like flexible, individualized eating based on hunger, safety, nutritional needs, and pleasure rather than externally regulated eating plans that are focused on weight control. Mm-hmm. The last one is life-enhancing movement, which I really like because it talks about autonomy. You know, yeah. How can you engage with movement based on your size, ability, and interests in a way that's enjoyable rather than forced or prescribed? Yeah, yeah. So Health at Every Size is actually a book written by Dr. Linda Bacon, um, and she has a couple books. The website, the Health at Every Size book website, just is like a treasure trove of info and PDFs and digital downloads. So we will link that in our show notes, and that's a place that you can read up on this. Oh, and like part two of Michael's question was about the BMI. I'm not sure we've talked a lot about that here on the pod, um, but I was talking about it recently on Instagram and found that a lot of people were really surprised by the info I was sharing. So I'm excited to share it with y'all and to help answer Michael's question. The BMI or the body mass index is that chart that compares height to weight and shows like quote unquote healthy places to be with both of them. What's real? Okay. So the BMI is bunk. (laughs) <laughs> this is, like, pretty established. Um, TLDR yeah, is fake. It's fake. <laughs> uh, but um, here are some reasons why it is bunk. It was created by uh, a fellow who was an astronomer, statistician, mathematician, not someone engaged in, like, the health in health studies or scholarship. He was just trying to figure out like what trends were in human bodies and mostly like white male human bodies because it was Belgium in 1850. Uh, So looking for variations within that, not thinking about like what's healthy, what's not healthy. 
the cutoffs that are part of the BMI are pretty arbitrary and change and have changed throughout the years, but like with very little science. <laughs> and actually also, so in terms of these categories, people in the overweight category actually tend to live longer on average than those in the normal weight category. So like, where's the science here, folks? There isn't any. Uh-uh. Most doctors know this is bunk, too. They know that it's not um, not rooted in things that matter, and yet it's still so widely used. So, I don't know. It's truly a mystery why it's used. And that, my friends, is one of the trick portions of this episode. <laughs> it's creepy and icky. Uh, it's, it's a trick among all of these sweet treats. Mm-hmm. And the sweet treat is Michael. Thanks, Michael, for the yes. question. Thank you for joining us for our sixth ghoul um, <laughs> <Sorry>. full <laughs> episode. <laughs> Yes, it was great to catch up with each other and hear about upcoming events in the Fat Dish, share our interview with the vivacious and veritably brilliant Virgie Tovar, and respond to our listener question to break down what we've been referring to when we mention health at every size. Please send us questions, folks, voice or written. We're excited to answer your questions in an upcoming episode and want to hear from you. Yes. Also, thank you for listening and thanks to KFAI for support and the stude. Thank you to Allison and Design and Create, who built our beautiful logo. And Kyle Wurstein, who composed and created our theme music. Thanks again to you. We appreciate you for listening. Catch us in two weeks on another episode of Matter, Matter of Fat. Fat.